Hello, and welcome to The Accidental Curator. My name is George Bathgate, and it is Friday, November the 3rd, Friday afternoon. And I'm just sitting here in my home office in uh, Kitsilano, Vancouver. And it's a kind of a cool, moist uh, fall day. Yes, we're definitely in fall mode right now. We've had a lot of rain. We're expecting a lot more in the next few days, and we get to go through these new terminologies like atmospheric river, which is coming at us, I think, tomorrow. Um, anyway, it's uh, this is episode 17. Yes, uh, and it's been several months since I put out episode 16, uh, primarily because I've just been incredibly busy at the gallery cafe that I have over on Main Island. Um, yeah, it's been my busiest summer ever, I would say. Uh, Lots of people, lots of tourists, lots of happy islanders coming around, and uh, a very enjoyable gig, you know. It's quite a lovely uh, situation over there. I don't know if I mentioned previously, but I quite love it. Although I started this podcast during a time of the pandemic when it was closed down. Yeah, this was sort of like a project to do while the uh, gallery cafe was shut down for almost 21 months. But uh, anyway, I, I kind of like doing the podcast. You know, it's fun. I enjoy putting together a few stories and coming up with some material and uh, reading it. I don't mind doing any of that. Anyway, today's episode, I've got a couple of things for you. Oh, one other thing before I forget. One other thing uh, that I'm going to pitch you on after I do my uh, stories today. I published a book this summer. Yeah, I, uh, I'd had a number of stories that I'd written over the years, and I finally put uh, a dozen of them together in a short story format in a self-published Amazon book called All Roads at Any Time. And I'll tell you about that a little bit more later on at the end of the uh, episode. But uh, that also kept me incredibly busy uh, during this time when I was also running the gallery. So anyway, busy boy. And uh, today's episode has two, uh, well, one is a story. It's a short story called Knute, Bobby Darren, and the Law of Unintended Consequences. And I also have a review. Um, a good friend of mine on Main Island, Joseph Sin Kun Lo, has uh, currently an exhibit of his drawings at uh, the library on Main Island. And it's called Looking for Meaning, and it was written by Bill Malone. It's a lovely show, and it's a wonderful write-up, and I just wanted to bring that to you. I think it's a really uh, sweet write-up about uh, Joseph's talents. And... Um, yeah, what else can I tell you? It's uh, it's uh, my fall-winter season right now, so I've got way more time off, and I will probably be getting at a couple more episodes uh, of The Accidental Curator more frequently than every couple of months. I might put one together every month or so, but anyway, just nice to be here, and I hope you're all well, and uh, I think we'll begin. In all likelihood, we offended every Iranian that was on that late-night bus from Tehran to Mashhad. Pilgrims, mothers trying to comfort their young children, and the elderly, all trying to make a personal spiritual journey to one of the holiest sites in Shia Islam, the Imam Reza Shrine, known as the Heart 
of Shia Iran. It was a cold November night in 1973, and all of the Iranian passengers on the bus, including the driver, were appalled by our complete lack of consideration and cultural sensitivity. Some simmered quietly while trying to sleep on their 10-hour journey to Mashhad, but most craned their necks to give us baleful stares and futile demands to be quiet. Shh! Is the universal language to shut up? And became so insistent it sounded as if one of the bus tires had developed an air leak, but no one in our group seemed to care. My only defense is that I was a follower, not an instigator. Knut was the ringleader of our group and knew all the lyrics to the songs. I was only there as part of the chorus. Every night I sit here by my window, window. staring at lonely avenue. avenue. Karaoke Knut was on fire, like an animated band leader. He drunkenly bellowed the verses to our equally drunk or stoned choir. Enthralled by his performance and his ability to remember song lyrics, we all jumped in on the call and response. Watching lovers holding hands and laughing, laughing. and thinking about the things we used to do. Little did Bobby Darren know that when he wrote the song Things in 1962, it would be used as a form of sleep deprivation on unsuspecting Iranian pilgrims ten years later. It was around this time that we started to receive the withering glances from passengers in the forward section of the bus. Undeterred, and with collective enthusiasm, we headed for the crescendo. Like a walk in the park. Like a kiss in the dark. Like a sailboat ride. We cried. Everybody now. We were young and unstoppable. Hijab-covered women were now standing to wag fingers in a vain attempt to turn off the broken radio. It didn't work. Even young mothers sporting swaddled babies pleading for quiet had little or no effect. We were having too much fun. Hmm, pondered Canute aloud. Perhaps they're not Bobby Darren fans. How about a little Marty Robbins? A white sport coat and a pink carnation. I'm all dressed up for the dance. Knut stood in the aisle, swaying and singing as the bus careened through eastern Iran. We were all spellbound by his human jukebox ability to conjure up familiar songs and engage us in rousing renditions. The choir had broken ranks and was now jumping in wherever memory of lyrics allowed. A white sport coat and a pink carnation I love Marty Robbins, said no Iranian pilgrim ever. Can you sing El Paso? Of course, a song of intercultural love as a metaphor for the abiding respect and love shared between the American and Iranian people, 
said none of the young, culturally insensitive hippie travelers. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. Nighttime would find me in Rose's Cantina, music would play and Polina would work. After a time, the pilgrims seemed to accept their fate and stopped shushing our singing and laughter. Perhaps it was resignation to the forces of youthful exuberance, or maybe after 20 years of involuntary pro-Western leadership under the Shah, they had acquired enough tolerance to know that this too shall pass. Maybe they just succumbed to fatigue and fell asleep, or, as I noted in my journal, the people here are so much more friendly than the Turks. Elsewhere, Canute may have been physically restrained, and the lot of us may have been chucked off the bus. Was our rude behavior just another example of Western insensitivity? Or was it enough to sway the opinions of some of our co-travelers? Did we tip anyone over into sympathy for the anti-government forces which were growing? Enough is enough! Let's kick the bums out. Yankee, go home. The Iranian Revolution occurred several years later. How many indignities does it take to start a revolution? Knut, Bobby Darren, and the Law of Unintended Consequences. I have an interesting epilogue for you. Um, 30 years later, 25 years after the Iranian Revolution, Knut would rob a bank in Beaverton, Oregon, and get caught. His heist made news under stupid robber tricks. Evidently, he brought a gun, a bandana for his face, and a bag for the $188,655 he walked out with. A good haul for a bank robber. But he forgot a getaway car. As a result, he demanded keys from a customer, very politely saying, I will leave them under the front seat. The only problem was Canute couldn't figure out which key opened the owner's car. According to reports, so he took off the mask and went back into the bank to inquire. Big mistake. After he finally got the car open, Canute took off, passing a Beaverton police car along the way. The officer received signals from the tracking device planted in the stolen loot and tracked him down within minutes and arrested him. The last we heard, he was cooling his heels in an Oregon detention facility, no doubt entertaining his cellmates with his karaoke command of golden oldie pop tunes. enjoyed my little short story, Knut, Bobby Darren, and the Law of Unintended Consequences. Um, next for you, I've got um, a review I'd like to read to you. Uh, a good friend of mine on Maine Island is a fabulous artist, a gentleman who's been on a 
long spiritual journey, and uh, he expresses that through his art. His name is Joseph Sinkun Lo, and he's got uh, currently a display of drawings that he did some years ago. Uh, it's called the show is called Looking for Meaning, and again, that's at the library on Main Island. And this review was written by another good friend of mine, Bill Malone, who lives on Main Island. And Bill does excellent um, interviews with artists and write-ups, and uh, he created this review of Joseph's show recently. So, And I think it's really well done. And Bill himself is a, an accomplished artist in his own right, too. So anyway, here we go. Walk into the Main Island Library until November the 11th and take time to look at Joseph Sinkun Lo's deeply personal and symbolic pencil drawings that hang on the walls in the current Arts on Main exhibition. Titled, Who Am I? You'll find yourself pulled into images that touch you at several levels. At first glance, you'll simply be impressed with Lo's sense of composition. Most drawings in his show are built on strong symmetries either right to left or up and down. But then, after studying them for a moment, differences on each side reveal themselves. An area that is dark in one part of an image is light in its altered reflection. Molecular language number 12 does this most obviously, as it's an impression of the well-known yin-yang symbol, a symbol of opposites. In his drawing, Anticipation, which depicts a faceless woman staring out through a window. The symmetry is broken only by subtle differences in shading on the figure's clothing. In the parting of the hair, of the slight difference in the position of the arms, and the suggestion of objects in the background. A drawing like Molecular Language Number 6 is more visually complex, as the symmetry is pronounced but broken in several ways. At the top, a zigzag shape seems to climb off the paper, while at the bottom, two broken zigzags seem to sit on the ground and diverge to your left and right. After you've taken in the general form of an image, your eye is drawn to the individual shapes composing each drawing. You will notice how the individual objects and forms are rendered. Low employs a subtle use of light and dark areas to form dreamlike backgrounds over which loose but strong lines define objects and human forms. The very rough paper he uses is a perfect surface to provide texture to the objects and individuals he depicts, and you'll get the feeling that the artist had an aesthetically intimate relationship with the paper and a real appreciation of how the graphite, as well as an eraser or likely a blending stump, produce the marks that form the drawing. You'll notice the occasional use of cross-hatching, but more often, long pencil lines that tend to slope to the right. The subjects are all the same, at the same time mysterious and suggestive. In many of the pieces, we're challenged by the image of a faceless woman, just a white, empty area where her features are missing. She's eyeless, but nevertheless seems to stare straight right into our own eyes. In the drawing called, When Will It Happen?, she sits at a desk, a pair of glasses on the surface in front of her. Are the glasses hers, or might they be yours? 
Could she be interviewing you? Or are you the interviewer? Is she waiting for a verdict or an announcement? In studying the artwork, it's up to the viewer of the artwork to answer those questions. In molecular language number 11, Lowe presents you with what at first seems like a random collection of circles and triangular-like shapes. On closer study, you see the patterns and you realize the image could close up on itself like a book, with the circles and dots on one half fitting snugly into the marks on the other half of the drawing. It possibly symbolizes the opposite traits that make up an individual or the inner structure of an imagined machine or mysterious relationships of hidden elements of the universe. Soft and responsive possesses the most interesting combination of smudged ethereal shapes overlaid with perfectly rendered lines illustrating a bed's ornate headboard and legs. By any measure, a bed is symbolic, and in this drawing it's depicted as if imagined in a dream or a half-recalled memory. A multi-pointed star at the base of the bed and a series of three dots in a vertical line above it might provide a clue as to the significance of the bed. Does the star suggest new life or possibly a relationship to something greater than oneself? The only image in the show that uses color in a carefully measured application is existential revelations. Three tennis balls, each a different color and orientation, float in a line above a green couch. The texture of the objects is soft, and the drawing almost invites you to run your hand over the objects to feel their fuzzy and warm surfaces. Juxtaposed with the fully rendered soft nature of the objects is a geometrically exact perspective outline, very architectural, of what might be paneled walls or inward opening halves of a multi-paned window. As in all of Lowe's drawings in this show, you are asked to work out the relationship between the sometimes unexpected objects he brings together in an exact and carefully placed pattern. Because of the use of color in one piece, this drawing stands apart from all the rest in the show and is a bit startling as a result. The meaning in every one of his drawings requires you to carefully requires your careful attention for it to emerge. The longer you spend viewing and contemplating each piece, and when you hold it in your mind's eye after you leave the show at the library, additional meanings emerge. As Lowe explains in his memoir, Ping Pong Parkinson's and the Art of Staying Alive, drawing is cerebral, internalizing what eyes can see to reveal what eyes cannot see. As an artist, this is how he describes his challenge as an artist. How do I use pencil on paper to convey the mystical contexts of objects in space coming together to be captured in one stationary moment of time? It's the artist's task to render a meaningful image, and it's your job as a viewer to interpret from your own perspective that meaning. Joseph's, Joseph Lowe's show provides a rich opportunity to wonder and to consider layers of meaning in both his work and in your own life by Bill Malone. And here's a biographical note about Joseph the artist. Joseph Lowe was born in Hong Kong, moved to North America, and received a BA in psychology from the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut. A trip to Paris inspired him to change careers and lead him to enroll in the Ontario College of Art in Toronto.
His artistic pursuits include painting, drawing, and writing. In 2015, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and two years later, he published Ping Pong Parkinson's, the story of his personal journey through his early days dealing with the disease. Currently, Lowe lives on Maine Island, British Columbia. Okay, everybody, that's about it for today's show. Um, I hope you enjoyed that, episode 17 of The Accidental Curator. Um, yeah, I changed it up a little bit today uh, by doing a short story and a review of an art exhibit on Main Island of uh, Joseph Sinkun Lowe's exhibit. But uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope all is well in your world. Um, I did want to mention, I kind of alluded to... Um, this book that I'd published and here's the pitch yeah here's the pitch I wrote a book it's a book of short stories 12 short stories and uh, I did publish it on Amazon um, which is always a place if you're interested in it it's uh, it's fun I mean it's a lot of stories you may have heard me um, narrate but it's called all roads at any time and you can't get that on Amazon but if you could um, I would love it if you made a purchase through my website because I just get a little more cash for that. Amazon takes its pound of flesh. So the website is clayandbone, all one word, lowercase.com. And when you call up clayandbone.com, the homepage has a little top bar menu item that says all roads at any time book. And if you click on that and if you uh, scroll down to the bottom. You can get a little bit of a an idea what the book's about, and you can scroll down to the bottom and purchase it um, either through Square. I've got a Square connection, or um, through PayPal. Anyway, that's the pitch, you guys. And uh, yeah, the, the sales have been going well. You know, I I don't know what to expect. This is the first time I've published a book, but we sold over a hundred copies. I think that's pretty cool. I'm just kind of happy about that. But I'm in a slightly different position from most authors in that I have a gallery cafe where I can sell my book at when I'm open. And it was busy this summer, and that's where you know a good chunk of the books are sold. Anyway, um, that's about it. So I'm signing off for today. Again, I hope you're all well. And uh, yeah, just uh, carry on being as, as good as you can on this uh, somewhat uh, off-putting world that we're in right now. Okay, all the best. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.